been a full service already this morning. First service was so incredible. What a move of the Holy Spirit we had. And uh, we're going to hop in the Word here. So get your Bibles out to Matthew 5, verse 38. We're moving through Jesus' Sermon on the Mountains. We've moved through the Beatitudes. Jesus is hitting topics here. And I'm going to read to you verse 38 through 42. So we get the Lord's uh, Word here, and we're going to pull it apart and enjoy every bit of it. Father, we thank you this morning for the Word. Thank you, Lord God, that we're here to sit under your anointing, to be able to worship you, to see growth, to see change, to see life. And Father, I pray that as we hear the word, that there would be life and growth and change that would take place in each of our hearts individually. Father, let these words leap off the pages and by your precious Holy Spirit, impact us to change the way we think and feel. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus speaking to the crowds here in verse 38, he says this, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. So Jesus there covering all these topics, heavy topics about murder and uh, putting relationships back together, about divorce and about adultery. And he's covering topics and he switches into some of these topics that may seem interesting. Really, these few verses here are talking about retribution and revenge and how we deal with people when they've wronged us. Now, you know that there are many who once you wrong them, they will never Forgive it, forget it, or trust you again. And so the Lord is dealing with this issue of retribution and if we have revenge in our hearts. Now, he says you have heard, and he's talking about the fact that the old code, the old uh, system here was the Old Testament law covenant. And what had happened is the, the covenant was based off of what Moses got from the Lord, but Exodus 21 really lists this principle, the eye for an eye principle, and it was how they meted out justice in that covenant. Now listen to this. It says in Exodus 21, verse 22, If men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet there is no injury, he shall be fined as the woman's husband may demand of him, and he shall pay as the judges decide. Verse 23, listen. But if there is any further injury, then you shall appoint a penalty, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. That's where they get this outworking of this principle, this paradigm, an eye for an eye. And notice it's interesting that this is generated from the fact that, you know, a woman was hurt that was with child in a situation where there was, you know, some kind of event that happened and she was hurt. Way back in the Old Testament, God's people didn't need scientists and, uh, you know, people to tell them, well, a baby's just a clump of tissue or it's just a, a group of cells. They knew it was a life, a living soul in the womb. Come on. And so if you damage the woman's child in the womb, there was a liability attached to that because life is precious and it's from God. So what, what it's saying here is that if whatever is done, if there's injury, if there's damage, if that baby's 
killed because of your recklessness. The, the principle is eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Whatever is done gets done back. Now think about the outworking of that. Taking out eyes, pulling out teeth, taking off hands. These were things that they did back in that time. And I mean, it's, it's barbaric in a way. And it's a hard way to live. It's real quiet now. Everybody looks really concerned. What's going to happen here? This, we, we, we know he's a little unstable. We don't know what he's going to do. And, you know, you look at the outworking of that, and you're like, wow, what a way to live. Now, Jesus blows the lid off of this. You say, what was the issue there? You know, this stuff was from the Lord. Well, the thing is this, that they had gotten almost mean-spirited in the way that they were meeting out justice. I know that we say that we're under a grace covenant now, but there was room for grace in the Old Testament if people wanted to be gracious to each other. David did some things that should have carried the death penalty with him, what he did with Bathsheba and, and with Uriah, her husband. But God had grace. Moses killed an Egyptian. He should have been eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You killed, you should be put to death. There is always room for grace if men were willing to extend grace. But they had gotten so cold-hearted and legalistic in the way they meted out justice that it became, you know, this really cold religious system. And Jesus wants to blow the lid off it here. He's talking about retribution and retaliation. They had become so calloused and mean-spirited that it was unbecoming for Christians to act this way. Now, Jesus isn't advocating you know, that we throw away everything to do with personal accountability and justice. Do we understand that? Two people mumbled a little bit. Do, do we understand that? Now, I know we live in a state that nobody is accountable for nothing. They're opening up the jail cells and throwing people out. There's people, I mean, what's going on in our state right now is unbelievable. Criminals are not being held accountable, and they're committing crimes over and over again. You guys know what's going on? You should be outraged that people are just free to do these things. Now, the Bible's not advocating that no one's held responsible for what they do, that, you know, somehow, some way, you know, people who are, you know, out of control and committing crimes should not be held responsible. There's room for, you know, justice and judgment. And in that, we have to be the ones who would also respond with a measure of grace. And because... You say, well, why do we always have to be gracious? Can't we just, you know, just mete out justice, cold, hard justice? Here's the reason why. We've been forgiven of all of our sins. Anybody? You still carry the weight of your sin? You can get saved. Well, stop the service and we can do an altar call. No, but we've been forgiven of all of our sins. Then we're released from the eternal consequences of those sins. And now we want to behave in a way that when someone sins against us, we say, well, I'm glad that I'm forgiven. But you know what? You owe me eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, burn for burn, bruise for bruise. Wow, what a response to God's grace. And you know what? Really, it was an ugly response to God's goodness to them that they were unwilling to extend the same kind of treatment to each other. Now, nobody likes ugly. Can I get an Amen. Ugly's not fun to deal with, not fun to look at, not fun to be around. If you've ever been around someone who's toxic and their attitude is ugly, come on. Like those people can part a room faster than a bad smell, I'm telling you. You see them walk in and everybody's like, whoa, hey, uh, you know. And it's what, because nobody wants to be around that. Nobody likes ugly. And I'll tell you what, being saved by grace and then not being gracious at all is ugly. 
Being forgiven of so much sin and not extending forgiveness to others is ugly. And being loved so lavishly and not be loving towards others is ugly. And Jesus is saying, I don't want my people to act in an ugly way because they're the recipients of grace. Now, the eye for an eye paradigm is a very hard way to live. And I'll tell you why. Because in some instance, at some time, all of us are wrong. All of us are guilty. Hello? Come on, second service. You're bare. I'm going to start throwing stuff. Where's my, where's my glasses of water? I just need to start throwing. I'm preaching to statues this morning. But all of us are wrong at some time. And, you know, the people who walk around like they're never wrong, they're mostly wrong all the time. And here's the thing. God showed me a long time ago that we all get a chance to be wrong. I remember as a young man driving, and somebody cut in front of me, changed three lanes, didn't put their blinker on, cut me off, and almost ran me off the road. And I'm hitting the brakes, and I'm like, are you kidding me? And I'm just sitting there like, you know, I mean, where did you learn to drive? The Mr. Magoo driving school? I mean... And, and, you know, I was just like irate. I'm like, you know, wh what's going on with this person? It wasn't three days later. I wasn't paying attention. I did something. I switched lanes. A big truck got behind me, beeped the horn. I did the same thing. Now, don't look at me like that because you've done it too. And the Holy Spirit said to me, well, now it's your turn to be all the things you call that other person. We always get a chance in life to be the one who does the wrong. And if it hasn't happened to you yet, it will. And call me when it does, we can talk about it. <laughs> but you see, the eye for an eye paradigm leaves us all broken, bitter, and blind. Because at some point, it's gonna cost us when we're wrong. So grace is a much better way. Jesus blows the lid off of all this, and he says the mean-spiritedness, the cold way that this is being meted out, and the, 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 the justice and the retribution and the revenge is not for my people. He says, but I say to you, do not resist an evil person. Now, what does this mean? There again, that we shouldn't hold anybody accountable for their behavior? No. Does it mean that murderers and rapists and child abusers and sexual predators should just go free to do their thing? No. The Bible's not saying that at all. But what it is saying is this. And remember, he's speaking to multitudes here, so he's, he's cloaking what's being said. Uh, it's for us to be able to discern by the Holy Spirit. He's telling us that, you know, we need to inject grace into everything we do. We need to be willing to be gracious to others. And if we're not, then there's something wrong with our hearts. Now, basically what it, the word is saying to us is just because someone is unjust or acting wickedly or, or they're mean or they're disrespectful, we as believers don't have to instantly sink to that level and exact this, do the same exact thing. Do you ever see someone respond to a nasty person and get nasty? And sometimes, I mean, someone's rude, so I'm going to be rude. Someone's nasty, I'm gonna, someone's disrespectful, I'm going to be. Do you see how that lowers the level of where we're supposed to be as children of God? We can choose just not to participate. Oh, you're being rude today? I, I don't want to participate, thank you. You know, there's an old expression, I don't know where it came from, but it, it goes like this. Don't be so quick to roll in the mud with a pig, because in the end, you'll get filthy and the pig will have fun. Think about that. 
Pigs like mud. Pigs like filth. They'll have fun in it. You and I will jump down into the mud, into the filth, and get covered. And before we know it, we've defiled ourselves. Did you ever get in a situation, you don't have to respond or raise your hand or point at your spouse, but I'm just going to throw this out there. Did you ever get in a situation where someone did something wrong to you, and by, you, by the time you were done straightening them out, you had become worse than them? I hate that. God, I started off right. What happened? What happened is my response was not correct, and I wind up being, you know, they, 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 did, they did X, Y, I did X, Y, and Z to the third power. And so it's not about jumping in the mud. It's not about, you know, getting in there and, and, and getting your pound of flesh. It's not about an eye for an eye. And when people are unkind and discourteous, we can choose not to participate. We can take the high road and we can be like Jesus. Now, Jesus lists four real-life scenarios here. These are scenarios where we can apply this teaching. And the first one is this. He says, whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, right out of the box, it's quiet because all of us have a problem with this. Well, I want, I want to take a look at what's going on here. We're, no, we're going to do an exercise. We're all going to start slapping each other. No. Just applying biblical truth. No, let's look at what's going on here. Really what, what Jesus is saying is we can apply this teaching of grace and not wanting to get retribution when someone is aggressively disrespectful towards us. You see, what he's talking about here, slapping someone on the cheek and then turning the other, is this right out of the box, understand what Jesus isn't saying. Slapping someone on the cheek was a cultural sign of disrespect. It was a smack on the cheek. It wasn't an overhand right followed by a left hook, okay? We're not talking about abuse. And maybe you've seen in movies or, you know, the British used to do things like this. They would come up to each other and they, they would take their glove off and they'd smack a guy. You know, and then what? It's pistols at 20 paces. And, and the Italians always cheat and we turn around quick. But... It was a social display of you know, it was, you know, to just embarrass someone. And they would smack them on the cheek. So we're not talking about physical abuse. We're not talking about beating someone, battering someone. That's not what the word is saying. The word is not saying that we should be passive, that we should take abuse, that we should put ourselves in physically life-threatening situations. No, that's not what this is about. What's being taught here is when someone is disrespectful to us and tries to humiliate us, we should be slow to respond defensively. See, this is what's under here. It's not, you know, Christians are doormats and they should be abused. No, it's that, you know, when someone is rude and disrespectful, when someone is aggressively disrespectful towards us, we should be slow to defend ourselves. Did you ever meet someone who was defensive? No matter what you said to them, I mean, you could say the nicest thing and they would get aggravated with you. Why? Because they, they're defensive people. They're, they're like a raw nerve. You know, you can come up and say, hey, well, that, that's, you know, that's a nice you know, outfit you have on. You look good today. And they say, what, I didn't look good yesterday? <laughs> well, you could say, hey, you know, here, I just wanted to give you this. Here's 50 bucks. Why not 100? I'm not worth 100. <laughs> you know, there's some people you can't please. Right. And I've encountered most of them. But there's some people you can't please. And all of us have dealt with people like that. And we're, we're talking about when someone is rude, when someone's disrespectful, when, when someone's aggressive towards us. Do we instantly respond by defending ourselves? And Jesus is saying, be slow 
to defend yourself. How did Jesus stand before his accusers? Silent. Jesus didn't say, aha, I have a dream team of lawyers, and now they're going to defend me. I take the fifth. No, he stood there like a sheep before shearers, dumb. Jesus was never quick to defend himself. Why should God's people be so quick to defend themselves? You know, it requires mental preparation for us to look, overlook offenses. If you don't settle this, if I don't settle this in my heart now, while I'm not in the heat of the moment, the heat of battle, when someone's offensive, when someone's rude, when someone's disrespectful, I might just do what my flesh wants to do and give it right back to them. So we've got to settle this in our hearts and minds now. When someone's rude, when someone's disrespectful, when someone's aggressive, you know what, I'm not going to respond like them. I'm not going to jump in the mud with the pigs and get dirty. I'm going to be like Jesus and I'm going to be slow to defend myself. Now, notice it says, if they smack you on the cheek, offer them the other cheek. Wow, this is where it hits the road, isn't it? Now, even by the most liberal math, you have four cheeks. I'll let you think about that for a second. <laughs> Has anyone ever got their butt kicked in life? Come on, I know. Welcome to Full Gospel Center. All right. So, by the most liberal of math. So, we're talking about... Smacks your cheek, smack the other cheek. We're not talking about a perpetual pattern of abuse here. What we're talking about is being slow to defend ourselves when someone's rude. Now, I know right now as we're talking about this, everybody's like, yeah, 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 yeah. But in the application of this, boy, some of us can get real nasty real fast. And when we do that, the Holy Spirit really needs to do some open heart surgery on us because we should be slow to defend ourselves, willing to turn the other cheek, giving someone a break or the benefit of the doubt. Some people are just having a bad day. It's quiet now. Well, don't take it out on me. Well, I was a bad sinner, and I took it out on Jesus, and he died in my place. So because of his grace in my life, I should extend grace to others. I'll move on because everyone's so excited right now. It's going to get better. The second scenario is this. When someone's trying to take advantage of us, here's another opportunity for us to apply this teaching. Now, none of us like to be taken advantage of. If you are sitting there and go, I don't, I don't mind being taken advantage of, you need to see Tom and celebrate recovery. They can probably help you. I'm not kidding. Okay. We shouldn't like to be taken advantage of. We shouldn't put ourselves in positions where we're taken advantage of. If we do, there's, there's, something, there's something wrong there. But look what verse 40 says. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Now, this is a, this is, this is a hard one here because no one likes to be felt like they're taking advantage of. And it depicts... A person who wants to take advantage of you and is willing to use the legal system to do it. Think about that. Yeah, I'm going to take your stuff and I'm going to use the court and I'm going to lie, cheat, and steal and I'm going I'm to take advantage of you. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been in the court where you, you lost your shirt. You, you were taken advantage of. I'm not trying to bring up painful memories. I'm just telling you this is a real life scenario. 
So here he's saying, if someone wants to sue you and take your shirt, you know what, let them have your coat also. What's this all about here? I mean, th these people are, you know, they want to take advantage and they want to take and they want to, you know, somehow use a legal system to do it. I want you to notice what's at the, uh, the crux of the matter here. What are they fighting over? It's a shirt. If anyone wants to take your shirt, uh, how many shirts do all of us have? I mean, we, most of us have so many shirts. I, I literally need to take a day off to go through all the clothes that I need to get rid of. You know, when you get older, you have like one set of, of, of your fat clothes when you're, when, you know, when you put your winter coat on, and then you have the mediums, and then the skinnies when you get motivated a little bit. Young people are just looking at me like, what's he talking about? You know, no, we got lots of clothes. We got lots of shirts. And Jesus is saying, someone wants to take your shirt. Now, what's the point here? The point is that what they are trying to take from you, even though it's unjust, even though they want to, you know, take advantage of you, what the thing is, it's a trivial thing here. It's a small thing. It's an easily replaced thing. So Jesus suggests they want to take your shirt, give them your coat too. Now, I, I, this week I looked in my closet. I could not believe how many coats I have. I don't know if they grow in the closet or where they come from. I, I think I have like four vests. Where did I get four vests? Yeah, I know you guys have two pairs of pants and one pair of shoes. I get, but all of us, I mean, so if I have to give up my shirt and a coat, really, it's a, it's a trivial thing. It's a small thing. So the principle behind this is that, you know, these are trivial things. They're easily replaced. In fact, most of us have plenty more to replace them without suffering any loss. The point is this. It's better for us and for the body of Christ, for the reputation of the church, and for society as a whole to be reluctant to go to war over trivial things. It's amazing what people will fight over. Trivial things. Well, what in the world? You, when you pay lawyers and you take time off of work and you go to court and you fight, well, you, you're going to come out. You, you're going to come out way behind. Have you? Come on, we've all been in situations like that. Well, it's the principle of the matter. What's that mean? That means I'm too proud to be taken advantage of. Wow. And Jesus is saying, don't go to war over trivial things. You say, well, then they'll take advantage of me. Well, it's only a small thing. Let it go. Wow, it's quiet now. I can see some people are saying, ah, that makes sense. I see the exposition. I ain't doing that. <laughs> it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. But he asks us to do a hard thing, to be reluctant, to fight, and to, you know, get down and dirty over these things that really don't matter in the end. And, you know, I look at this text and I go, so you lost your shirt. So you forfeited a coat. Did you die? took advantage of me. Yeah, but Jesus did so much for us that we never did deserve that how could we keep score about that and want an eye for an eye about that when we've been the recipients of such great grace? So I lost a shirt, so I forfeited a coat. I maintained my witness. I maintained my integrity. I maintained my good standing with God, and that's more important in the final analysis. Number three, the third scenario is this. When someone imposes themselves upon you because they can. It says here in verse 41, whoever forces, say forces. forces. How many people like to be forced to do things? 
none of us. Nobody likes to be forced. Forced to do things we don't want to do. To force someone to do something is probably the least productive way to motivate anyone. But a lot of us are forced to do things we don't want to do. And, you know, whatever the reason is, even if we should do them. Like, I don't, I'm not coming to your house in the morning with pots and pans and waking you up. It's devotion time. Come on, wake up. It's 6 o'clock. Wake up, you bum. I'm not doing that. Right? We, but, you know, if you're forced to do devotions, if you're forced to be kind, if you're forced to, you know, if you're married, if your wife has to force you to bring her flowers, you're in trouble already. It's quiet now, man. I'll tell you what. Let me just get back to my notes here. But being forced is not a good thing. It's not a good thing to have done to us. It's not a good thing to do to another. But, you know, it says whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. And it's human nature. It's, it's the part of us that has that uncrucified flesh that says, I'm not being forced. I don't like it. And I, I've discovered in life that there is a never-ending supply of people who are willing to misuse us just because they can. Ever notice that? And if you're out there thinking, you know what, I just got to get away from these people. I got to get away from crazy people. I got to go hide. If I could just get away from these people who misuse me and force me and put expectations on me, then my life will be good. Usually that's the person who winds up in the middle of Alaska, living in an igloo on the tundra, you know, and then all of a sudden an Eskimo shows up and says you're on his land. So, I mean, you never escape it. Okay? You never escape the fact that, you know, there's going to be difficult people to deal with. And there's people, there's bullies. I mean, from the, fir from the first time we were in school, all of us have had to deal with bullies. There's social bullies uh, on social media that just bully people. There's abusive bosses. How many have ever worked for an abusive boss? I mean, I'm surprised every hand is not going up in here. Such a common situation. Uh, there's people who love to exploit their position of authority. Did you ever see some of the people who wind up in positions of authority? Come on, how did they get there? Who do they have pictures of doing something wrong? How did they get that spot? It's just amazing who winds up in authority. And, and what do those people do? They don't have the character or the integrity to have the position. Somehow they got there, so then they take advantage. And, uh, you know, they're going to take it out on you. Come on, I, I lived in the real world. I live in the real world. Hello? And this is what we deal with. So there's always going to be those people there. They're just going to make you do things because they can. You know, uh, people who exploit their authority, abusive bosses, family members who take advantage of others. And this time, everybody knew what Jesus was talking about when he said, if someone asked you to go one mile, go two. Because the Roman soldiers had a position of authority, and they had some privileges. All the Roman soldiers that were posted in the places where Rome had conquered territories and were occupying it, they had, uh, they had privileges that they could exert over non-Roman citizens. And one such privilege was this. If a Roman soldier was moving through an area and he had all his gear and his personal effects and he was moving through, he could grab anyone who wasn't doing anything, who wasn't a Roman citizen, and say, hey, you're going to carry my load a mile. That was the law. And they had to do it. 
whether they liked it or not. They had to do it. If not, they could be arrested. They could be jailed because he had the right to invoke that on the person. So what Jesus is saying here, that Roman soldier who does this, now everyone saw that as an abuse of power. They didn't like it. I mean, you could just, you had to drop everything you were doing and you had to serve. Now, all the people knew what Jesus was talking about when he said this. And in their mind, to go one step more than the required mile would have been total insanity. Oh, it's bad enough we got to do this. It's bad enough we got to carry this load. It's bad enough we can be jailed if we don't do it. But now you're asking us to go one step further than the required mile, and, and, and they didn't want to do it. It would be like Jesus saying to us, you pay 25% in federal income tax. Send them 50. Now you start to get it, right? Man, I don't like what they do with my 25% finance and sin and abortion and all kinds of nonsense. I'm, I, I'm not sending 50%. Jesus was asking them to do something that was, you know, I mean, they were not happy about it. But what's the point here? The point is this, that as believers, we should never do just the bare minimum in anything we do. Well, I just want to do the minimum. I just want to go the mile. I'll just, you know, because I got to. You know, as believers, we should never do the bare minimum. Why? Because God never did the bare minimum for us. Jesus didn't die and say, well, all right, I'll take care of the sin thing. But if you want happiness in life, if you want peace, well, you're on your own. Or, you know, uh, I'll take care of your sin issue here, but, you know, um, as far as eternity, well, you work that out yourself. No, he did. He gave us so much more than the minimum. It's actually unjust that a perfect, sinless, loving Savior would die for a wretch like me. It's way over the top. So here I am, the, the beneficiary of grace, and I want to be legalistic and do just the minimum. People who do just the minimum in life, at the workplace, with their family, or with the kingdom of God, always come up short. I can guarantee it. The second reason we shouldn't ever just do the minimum is this, because our willingness to serve others beyond what's required of us becomes a powerful witness to them. How are you going to save that neighbor? How are you going to get that family member into the kingdom of God? How are you going to get that lost person that you work with to know Jesus? Go the extra mile for them. Serve them. Listen to them. Take them out to lunch. Spend time with them. You say, Pastor, are you crazy? I'm busy. Do you know all the things I've got to do? There are souls at stake. And that if we'll go the extra mile with people, I, I shared with first service, there's people in my life, I hang out with a lot of people during the day and then going to the gym and all the stuff that don't know Jesus and they need the Lord. And you might think, the, the, why would you want to hang out with these people? They don't think right, they don't act right, and they certainly don't talk right. You know, I've been at the diner with some of them. I'll take them out to lunch just to spend some time with them. You say, what in the world do you do that? And I'll pay the check. What in the world are you doing that for? Because somehow, some way, you've got to break through the barrier and you've got to go the extra mile so that eventually they'll open up to you and say, this guy, you know, I can trust. I can trust this person. I sat down with a guy this week and he just began to open up his heart to me after spending time and going the extra mile and listening and, and hearing all the words, some of the words. God, I haven't heard that word in a long time. That's a new word. Well, he's creative. He made up new curse words. Well, praise God. You know, and then you think, well, why do you want to? And he just began to pour his heart out. I was abandoned. I was abused. I was sexually. And I mean, here's a guy pouring his heart out to me. How does that happen? Not by doing the minimum. 
not by being religious and busy. We've got to have a heart for people to be willing to go the extra mile. They're, they're not, they're not going to just let us in because we're religious or because we can quote some scriptures. We've got to do better. God, help us. I'm not going one step more than the mile, Jesus. You're not going to bear fruit. You can't do the minimum and snatch souls out of the fire. Number four, the fourth demand that Jesus puts on us here is, you know, in some ways it's the most common, but it's the most difficult to deal with. When someone puts a demand on us to be gracious and charitable, and here's what verse 42 says, give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. This is, <laughs> you know, this is one of the most difficult things here. For most of us, you know, we don't have a problem being generous. I think whether you know it or not, you know, our culture is a generous culture. You know why all those things are on TV about send money here, send money there, help to feed the children, here's the starving Why? Do you know why they put those on TV? Hello? Because we send money. They don't spend a million dollars on a commercial because eight cents comes in. When we see that stuff, Americans open their wallets and their hearts and they pay. We send more money to, to impoverished nations, to the hungry. We send out more missionaries. We still do this stuff. Come on, you guys have been listening to the Let's Hate America Club for too long. You don't realize we're, we're still the ones who, you know, do these things. So most people are generous. Boy, you look so excited this morning about being, yeah, I'm generous. I just, pay, pay the... I just told you you're generous. I didn't say you owed 50000 on your taxes, okay? So it's a good thing. We're generous people. So, you know, to be generous is not, you know, oh, I don't want to hear this, Pastor. I'm a stingy old miser, and I got the first dollar I ever made, and I don't want to share it with anybody. I want to die with it, and I'm going to make them bury me with it. We're generous people. We're givers, especially if we're Christians. We've learned to give. Amen. Amen. Giving is the only proof we've conquered greed. And so God teaches us that principle. So most of us will lend. Most of us will share. Here's the rub here. Consider the context. Jesus started all of these scenarios off with this. Do not resist an evil person. So it's a safe assumption that we, Jesus is asking us to lend somebody, to be charitable to somebody that probably doesn't have the best reputation or integrity because he's saying don't resist. So, you know, when you have to lend to a person, you know, if you lend stuff to a person who always breaks your stuff, come on, come on, loosen up, right? You give it to them in one piece, it comes back in parts, you know, and they pretend that they didn't break it. Well, I don't know what this is. Here you go. And you lend them stuff and they break it. Or there's pieces missing. And like that's a, and that and what do we do? Well, I'm never lending you anything again. Or you know, you 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 give something to somebody and they return it in worse condition. My parents taught me whenever you borrow, my father told me all the time, you borrow something from somebody, you turn it back to them in better condition than the, than they gave it to you, right? And then you get you loan your car to somebody, it comes back, no gas. They leave you high and dry. Are you kidding me with that? Are you kidding me with that? You, legally, you should be able to run them over at least once. That, that is so wrong. You left me high and dry. Hey, thanks for the car. Use your gas, too. What else? Did you steal the hubcats? Did you take the battery? These are the kind of people I'm talking about dealing with, right? 
And Jesus is saying, lend to them, give to them. You know, the person who, you know, they, they return it broken or they, you know, they, they, they return it empty or they don't return it at all. And you're like, you're watching the neighbor and they're like, man, you got a weed whacker just like mine. <laughs> yeah, that's because when you were at work, he knocked on the door and your wife let him borrow it and he ain't giving it back. He already scratched your name off it. It's, it's gone. Right? So somebody like that. I got to give to that guy. I got to share with that guy. Why? Because he put a demand on me. Give to him who asks of you. It doesn't say take collateral, do a background check, get a retinal scan. Hello? Do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Wow. So the last type of person that's difficult in this situation is the person who doesn't reciprocate. You share with them. You lend to them. You give to them, hey, can you help me? You know, I need just a little bit of help uh, on a shovel, 40 tons of gravel on my driveway. Here's a spoon. You know, they want you to help them. But then when you want help, they, they oh, you know, I, I got to go. I got to water my cactus. They, or they never have what you need to borrow. No, it's broke. I can't find it. It's missing. You know what I'm talking about. People who don't reciprocate. I don't know about you, but, you know, like, that's a hard, that's a hard thing. I got to give to you. God is watching. Hey, what are you going to do? All right, here you go. Here, let me scratch my name off it before. Here, it's yours. <laughs> you say, well, Pastor Rick, this is not even wisdom. Why would Jesus ask us to do these things? Here, let's consider two scriptures, and it'll make sense. Proverbs 19, 17. One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deed. Did you hear that? When we lend to someone who's in need, who, who doesn't have what we have, when we lend to them, we lend to the Lord. And who will repay? God will repay us for the good deed. So we got to look at it like this. When people put a demand on us to be charitable, even if they're unscrupulous and they have a bad track record, we give to them, but we're really lending to the Lord. Come on, doesn't that make it better? Yeah, so then if they break it or, or use it or don't give it back or whatever the situation is, it's the Lord who squares up with us. And the blessing attached to our life from being obedient is much more than anything we might have lost lending it to people like that. <laughs> Proverbs 11, Proverbs 112, 5. Uh, uh, this is one last one. It is well with the man who is gracious. You see, this is about grace. It's not about eye for an eye. It's not about legalism. It's not about, you know, well, you did this and I'm not. It's about grace. It is well with the man who is gracious and lends. He will maintain his cause in judgment. God's saying, I, I watch the way you treat people. I watch the way you, you share and you lend and even when the person doesn't have good character. And you know what? I'm going to turn that back to you as mercy when you need it. And guess what? We're always going to be in a spot at some time in life where we need mercy. And so it's nice to have some in the account because we were gracious and lend to others. Let's bow our heads this morning. These scenarios are difficult. I've tried to make them a little bit humorous. I've tried to see the lighter side of them. But the bottom line is people who are smacking us, people who are trying to take advantage of us, people who are rude and disrespectful, people who, you know, want to take from us and, and not return, not reciprocate. These are all really difficult things to deal with. And I want to just throw some questions at you that the Holy Spirit threw at me. And the first one is this. Do you forgive and forget? Or do you want your pound of flesh. Do you like eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth? Do you keep score 
And do you know who owes you what? Are you petty about trivial things? Or are you gracious? Is wanting revenge something that's always on your mind? Or are you willing to let things go and trust God? If we had to answer any of those questions in the way that would suggest we're not in line with what Jesus is teaching here, the Holy Spirit wants us to look at our hearts. And I want us just to take a moment with our eyes closed in His presence and just look at our hearts today. And maybe we've been keeping score. Maybe we've been keeping score in our marriage. Maybe we have issues with persons that we haven't forgiven that wronged us and we, we refuse to let it go. I don't know what the situation is, but the Holy Spirit wants to do some open heart surgery in us today so that we can be free and we can enjoy the goodness of God. Just take a moment. Father, I know that these things that you've asked us to do here, as Jesus taught, are difficult. And they are uncommon because it takes the working of the Holy Spirit for us to get to these places. But I pray today that we would be a people who reflect the character and nature of Jesus, that we would live in such a way that would reflect the grace you've shown us in our lives. Father, so many of us are enjoying the blessings that we could have never earned. You covered us in our sin and in our failures, and you didn't allow the enemy to destroy us when he could have. You've been so good and gracious to us. Father, help us to be those who just inject grace in everything we do, that we would never have that eye-for-an-eye attitude because you have been so good to us. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Give him praise this morning. Amen. God is good. Uh, this morning we're going to respond to the Lord. We're going to sow an offering. Uh, do it out of relationship today as you come uh, and sow into the kingdom. Know it's good ground and it's producing fruit in people's lives. Praise God. I'm the canvas and the clay. And you make all things work together for my future. And for 